Hello, and welcome to the Accidental Muralist podcast. My name is Pam Concier. I am the, the one-woman show that um, records and produces and publishes this podcast and the founder of All Hands Art at allhandsart.com. Today, it's January 23rd. I want to talk about some things that are kind of hard to talk about or I think kind of avoided or misunderstood in our culture, which is healing and the wounds that the specific wounds that we need to heal from. I think people in our culture are pretty used to going to the doctor when something comes up, especially to the physical body. But we don't have the same set of skills or resources when it comes to emotional or psychic wounds could be things from our childhood from relationships from institutions that we've you know experienced harm from and so i want to add to the conversation out there some things that i have figured out the hard way and also done a lot of learning and research and reading and listening to podcasts and and my own work to heal through some of my own things. So today's podcast is about healing from our, let's call them emotional wounds or psychic, psychological wounds. Soul wounds would be another way to talk about them. You might hear some noise in the background, which are two space heaters. I'm out in my studio as usual, but my heater has not been working for a couple weeks. Our furnace inside the house broke. <laughs> Things have been breaking down. I looked up just a little while ago, is Mercury in retrograde? Because I've heard that's a thing. Communication has been kind of breaking down uh, lately in certain places, misunderstandings. And so I learned that uh, Mercury was in retrograde for about a month, starting in December and until like a few days ago. So maybe I should try my heaters again. Um, but if you hear a little kind of humming noise or rumble in the background, that is the heaters that will keep me from sitting out here in the cold being uncomfortable. So on to today's topic. Um, I want to start with an analogy of if we were, let's say, in a car crash and got sort of banged and battered up, the the response, the appropriate would response would not be to like wrap ourselves in bubble wrap and hide in a closet. Also, it wouldn't be to kind of bandage up our leg if the main wound was on our arm but I sort of feel like this is what happens with emotional scarring and and so I think it's a helpful way to think about it like we think about wounds to the body because the first step toward healing the way I see it both in physical and emotional things is you have to locate the wound you have to know what it is that needs to be healed. Healing is not, I mean, I guess it can be kind of general, like you could eat 
a healthy, balanced diet, that is a form of kind of general healing. You could invest in relationships and do have a healthy lifestyle that could promote general healing, but, but our wounds tend to be very specific. And so I think that even if we're taking really great care of ourselves in a general way, it might not address the needs of some specific wounds. So as logic tells us, if, if we were in that car accident, the first thing that would need to happen is the doctor or emergency response people would be looking, scanning the body to see where are the wounds. And they're visible often, they're not always visible because sometimes they're internal, but with, with our psyche or our emotions, it's not so obvious because they are all internal. And so what I've found to be a really effective wound locator system is the, the ways that I get triggered. It took me a long time to learn this, and I think I partly figured it out on my own, and then I'm sure I was influenced by people I was listening to and reading, people like Michael Mead or um, Clarissa Pinkola Estes, some other, those are two that come to mind that talk a lot about wounds and scarring and um, maybe not specifically about triggers, but what, the way it works for me now, if I feel myself being triggered, and that word gets thrown around a lot, but I just, what I mean by it is when you, when somebody says something or some, some situation is playing out that creates a sort of dramatic emotional response, a very charged response, sometimes it takes, feels like, um, something as a direct attack at you. That's how it usually feels to me. In my body, it kind of sets my whole nervous system alight in an unpleasant way. Like I'm super um, kind of, it feels charged and I might physically, like sometimes when I've been triggered, I, I feel like I kind of need to shake my arms or my hands, like shake it off because there's this energy that surges through my body that is very uncomfortable and my stomach might be churning, uh, my heart rate might go up and usually what's going on in my mind is a lot of defensive chatter. Um, like if somebody, for example, a few years ago I was hosting some friends who I hadn't seen in a long time and one of them kept saying, that, making these comments that felt very triggering, I'll just say, and my whole, by the end of the evening, it just kept happening and happening. We, we talked about different topics and it just kept happening. And at the end of the night, I was, I, I had a hard time sleeping because I felt like my whole body was kind of supercharged with this churning energy that was not pleasant and I was just lying awake like vibrating and had to decide because this this friend was staying for the weekend it had just started the weekend had just begun and I had to decide like am I gonna say something am I I decided in this case not to it's not somebody who is a big part of my daily life 
if he were, I think I would have made the choice to have a conversation and say something. There were also other people there who I was really enjoying. And I made a decision that I was going to live out the weekend, kind of focus on enjoying the friends who I was really enjoying being with, and then, you know, kind of process afterwards. So that was my conscious decision. I eventually did get to sleep, but it was, you know, it was kind of a rough weekend. <laughs> and then after everybody left, after a couple of days, I sat out on the back deck. I let myself cry. I sat there just feeling all the feelings. And then I started to unpack, like, what was so triggering? Because it's easy. Our first response is usually like, it's his fault. You know, he was an ass. He shouldn't have said those things. He should be more considerate or he's really condescending or that tone is condescending. You know, it's easy to and common for us to go first to the, the poker, you know, the person who poked the wounds. And if they hadn't poked those wounds, I wouldn't be feeling that pain. But what I've come to learn is that, yeah, you know, yes, maybe that person could be more considerate or is brash and condescending. But really, the wound in me that got poked could have come from him. If it didn't come from him, it the wound is still there. Like, it just happens that he was the one who who poked it and and kind of reopened it but the the thing that i think people miss and that i want to highlight today is that the wound is full of information there's so much information there and i think that the learning there's learning there there's healing there there's more understanding of yourself there can be self-compassion once you go in there and kind of um, unpack what it is you can change the story of that wound because maybe whatever caused it is no longer an influence in your life and you can kind of examine it and move beyond it so in this case that's what I tried to do I realized that the ways that I was triggered had to do with um, me feeling uninformed, feeling like my arguments were not strong or well thought out, feeling like I was naive, feeling like I wasn't intellectually, you know, mature or rational. And, and then I, the next step for me can be taking the that story of which this these conversations provoked of oh i'm i'm naive i'm not a rational thinker i am not well informed and then to think like is that really true in some cases in the conver the specific conversation conversations it was true that i don't know as much as this person did cuz we were talking about his industry and you know obviously he knows more about his industry i'm not in that industry and and so some of that was could be valid but then on a larger sense there were also other things at play that i needed to recognize like i i am a slow and steady processor i'm not somebody who 
thinks really quickly on my feet and has the you know the quick comeback I I like to consider things it takes some time I like to be thoughtful about it and my goal usually is not to win an argument but to like have to thoughtfully consider you know what makes sense to me or what is aligned with my values and so in that scenario where we're in this sort of small group discussion and it's charged and it's about politics and different things and the legal system and all this you know that's not my place where I shine usually but that doesn't mean that I don't have any valid contributions to make or that I'm stupid or that you know I'm slow or naive or all the things that I was feeling so I it takes time and then self-compassion which I'll talk about later because that is a really 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 important piece I'm just making a little note to myself to not forget to talk more about self-compassion before we close today um, but so in this process of this example that I'm giving um, it it, it helped me to calm down and sort of apply a more realistic lens and to shift the story a little bit from I'm uninformed and naive to you know I don't I don't need to win an argument it's not important to me and you know I was kind of out of my element and for this other person that is what he does for a job is win arguments so um, it helped me give myself a little bit of a pass or some grace. There was another situation that had a similar, triggered a similar wound, another conversation that brought up feelings of like that same kind of naivete or incompetence. It, like I felt like I was being talked to as though I were incompetent and naive. And I think the wounding there that I'm, because, you know, they were kind of similar, even though they were spaced a few years apart, is one of the wounds that I'm trying to heal from is kind of the self-image I think I have or had that I'm shifting out of. I'm the youngest child um, in my family. I'm a girl, I'm a woman, and I'm small, and basically like nobody was ever asking my opinion. Even though I did really well in school, I was very good at figuring out what was expected of me and doing that thing. So I was a very skilled people pleaser, and I could figure out how to meet the expectations of my family or my teachers. But, you know, the comments I was always getting was, I would like her to participate more in classroom discussions. You know, I wasn't like an intellectual powerhouse. I was a pleaser who made other people's lives easier by not, you know, getting under their skin. <laughs> and the wounding, I think, just comes from maybe not being feeling like I was taken seriously. Um, another thing that I... I get triggered by is feeling misunderstood that's very painful for me and it happens a lot you know so anyway I'm I don't need to I'm just giving some examples of 
of triggers for me and how I have tried to, in some cases, you know, I'm not perfect. I have sort of lashed out at times, sadly, to the triggerer um, and then had some repair work to do. Some of that I'm still in the middle of. But in other cases, I've been able to step back think about the triggers. Why is this so sensitive? What is it here that is unhealed? Because if it were healed, think about scar tissue. Um, when a wound heals over, the scar tissue is actually stronger than the original skin that was there. And so when these wounds get worked with and opened up and examined and cleaned out the way you would do with a physical wound and maybe bandaged in, you know, with clean, appropriate um, ointments and bandaging, which could be the application of self-compassion or therapy or, you know, whatever the appropriate thing is for, for whichever case then eventually it can kind of breathe in the light of day. It can scar over there. The scarring I think of as the learning, the lessons that came out of it and the, the ability next time and maybe not completely all the time because I'm not sure that our wound, I don't think anything in life is ever really finished. So, you know, this is a process and I think we can get more skilled at it. It may, we may never, you know, be perfect at it. Um, but we can be more resilient the next time that same kind of trigger or that same kind of comment comes at us. If we've done the work with the wound and examining it, cleaning it out, changing the story to be more accurate of like, yeah, this part of what that person said was true, but these parts are not true and that's not you know, how I am. And, and, but I don't have to take it so personally and and keep just you know being wounded all the time so there can be healing there can be um a little bit of to me what feels like distance or separation but not in a dissociated way but in a way that is just slightly removed from the taking it so personally or from the being enmeshed in you know whatever this comment or these conversations are where you're so yeah I'm struggling to find the right words but you know you can where you can step back and say okay this this conversation has equally to do with what this person what's going on with them and it may not be personal to me, maybe they have their wounds that they're kind of acting out um, and I'm the person standing in front of them that they're acting out and, and, you know, and that's the tricky thing is that we all have maybe similar wounds. First, I, if I didn't say it earlier, I want to say we are all wounded. This is something I've learned from Michael Mead, probably one of the most important things I've learned from him. His podcast is called uh, Living Myth. I highly recommend it. I listen to him not every morning, but many mornings, and just it feels like it's um, it's a way of understanding myself and the world and humanity in a way that I don't hear talked about very much in the rest of my life. So, um, but one of the things he's always saying is, and this 
he draws on old stories from many cultures around the world and ancient wisdom traditions. The idea in this case being we are all wounded, we are also all gifted, we all have something special that we came here with to offer, and those two things are related. Where the wound is, is often where you find the gifts. And for me, sometimes the gifts come in the form of lessons. And once I learn that lesson, then, you know, if I can help somebody else who's in a situation like that and kind of, you know, help them work through it and provide healing for that, that, that can be a form of using the gift out of the wound. So the, yeah, I find it really fascinating, the, the proximity that he talks about where the woundedness, the wounds are where you find the gifts. And that also motivates me to spend the time. And this is why, this is why I think that not many people are willing to go there and spend the time kind of unpacking the wounds, opening them up, cleaning them out, you know, looking at the damage or the harm that's been done um, because it's painful. You have to, you have to go there and a lot of people would like to avoid it. Um, it takes time and I think in our society it's really common for people to be so busy that, you know, there's maybe literally no time in their day to sort of slow down and do the kind of processing that I'm talking about. And I think there's there's also a notion definitely in the generation, like my parents' generation, and and it's still very present today, I think, where that kind of processing is seen as navel-gazing, having a pity party. These are some of the words that I have had told to me or close friends who have been sort of in this process of healing from for people who haven't done this kind of work it can seem like um, a kind of self-indulgence or um, yeah I well those are three words self-indulgence self-centeredness uh, self-pity, navel-gazing, all of which have super negative connotations as kind of this weak, you know, someone who just wants to wallow in their suffering. And I would say it's actually the opposite. It's, it's hard work that is necessary in order to move beyond the suffering and into a healthier place and avoiding doing this work kind of pushes that wound, you know, it's like wrapping the wound in bubble wrap and putting it in a closet and it feels like it's protected but it's actually just festering there so those are some things uh, that I wanted to talk about about triggering about wounds about gifts and all the gifts the lessons that can be um, found when you examine the wounds and where we are wounded my hope and this is this is tough. I feel like in our society, there's so much wounding going on. We're, we're already so wounded, all of us are, and then we're, we don't have a lot of skills in how to heal the, the kind of wounds I'm talking about. So what ends up happening, and you see this all over the place in politics and in personal relationships, is 
is the blame. You know, it's that person's fault because they they touched my wound. And so, you know, we need to shut that person down or exclude this person or I can't deal with that person anymore. I'm going to close them out of my life. Um, I don't want to talk to them anymore. And I think it would go a long way if we took a breath and use the wisdom that is in our wounds to to learn something about ourselves. And if we could do that with the people that we love, which sometimes is hard because those are the people, it seems like it's easiest for us to take the, the wounding personally or the touching of the wounds. Um, but I also feel like if we're not able to do it with the people who are close to us, our family and friends, when we, you know, kind of say something insensitive or react harshly to somebody else's words, and then there's this breakdown in communication. If we can't heal these divisions within among the people we're close to, I don't know how we can expect to have sort of like a more national healing process with people who we disagree with on so many more things. In some ways, though, it's easier to kind of go through this process with people who you don't feel as invested with because, you know, maybe it's easier to keep it at arm's length. But I just wanted to throw some of those things out there. And I did mention self-compassion. I wrote it on my little piece of paper in front of me so I wouldn't forget because all of these things, I think one of the most important things, whether you're working with wounds or if you're just having a bad day or if you're feeling kind of down because it's winter and it's gray, even though I'm looking out right now and it's completely blue sky and sunny in Portland, Oregon, which, oh, actually there's some clouds over there in the north, but it's, um, it's kind of one of the rare, sunny, sunny, beautiful days. But if you're just feeling kind of bogged down with winter or life or certain situations, self-compassion, I think, is one of the most underrated and misunderstood concepts. So I want to go through some simple steps that I learned from Dr. Kristen Neff, from listening to her, some interviews with her, reading her book. Um, she's a researcher of mindfulness and self-compassion. And I will put a link to some info about her in the show notes. But what I've learned from her is a toolkit with three simple steps. And these steps are simple, not always easy, but I think profound. And I've used them and they're easy to remember and they help. So when, so here's the first step is mindfulness. She puts, she presents them in a different order. I'm not sure why, but this is the order that makes sense for me. The first step is mindfulness. And in this case, it would be just acknowledging, like I had a situation recently, I felt like I said too much. I kind of put my foot in my mouth. I hurt some people's feelings. I overshared and then was left with in kind of a, as Brene Brown would call it, a shame, shame storm or a that warm wash of shame of like, oh God, you know, I wish I wouldn't have gone there, done that. So step one is just acknowledging suffering. I, I struggle still with the word suffering, but I'm going to just use it as though I accept it fully that I'm suffering right now. Suffering doesn't have to be like dying of famine. It can just be like feeling 
shame over what just happened and or just feeling icky. So acknowledging like, ugh, I just feel bad right now. Step two, and this is the one that's counterintuitive, is to recognize that it is because of our suffering, because of our mistakes and our imperfections that we are connected with all humanity. Like human beings screw up and suffer. Sorry, I keep getting notifications. Um, human beings screw up, suffer, make mistakes, hurt each other. And that suffering is what connects us. It's, it's not something that separates us because we are the only person who has ever felt this way. And I think that's a really tricky thing for people who are prone to depression or to heavy, heavy feelings of grief or sadness or whatever you want to call it is this feeling of isolation. So I think just acknowledging that, no, this is the thing that makes me the most human is that I screw up and I'm not perfect and, you know, things are hard. So that's step two. And then step three is talking to yourself the way you would talk to a beloved friend. You know, Pam, it's okay. Nobody's perfect. You're doing your best. You can try to work this out. You know, whatever, whatever words feel appropriate to your situation. So again, really quick, those three steps, because they're simple and they're super useful. I think they could be transformative if more people kind of employed them instead of just sticking with the blame thing um, or just with like feeling like crap. Step one, mindfulness, being aware, admitting, just recognizing, hey, I'm in a dark place right now. This sucks. Step two, connect the dots that say this suffering is what makes me human, not what separates me from other humans. This is what connects us. Step three, talk to yourself the way you would talk to someone you really love. And it helps. I've used it. I recommend it. And my wish is that we can make time, give ourselves space and silence and quiet and whatever conditions we need to do some of this processing and some of this healing work that is not a pity party. It's actually hard work that can be painful, but believe me when I say that it doesn't last forever. It's like a through way to get to the healing and the lessons and the lightness that can come when you've kind of cleaned out these wounds and let go of some old stories that no longer serve you and can see maybe a new pathway for reopening a conversation that could be healthier. It's beautiful, magical work that is within our grasp. So also I want to just kind of relate it back to the transitions work that I've been talking about. So full disclosure, I had put out in some recent podcasts and blog posts, like I'm interested in starting a group for women talking about transitions. I actually pulled back from that. Instead, I'm going to be working on a book about transitions. But to me, one of the things that makes transitions hard, and I just want to throw this out there because this is part of what I'm going to be writing about, is that when people are in transition, and I'm thinking of things like um, 
retirement, becoming an empty nester, some like quitting a job and maybe you haven't found a new job, but you know you can't stay at that old one. What happens, and I think this is what makes transitions hard, is that sometimes these big spaces open up in your life and what rises up to fill that space is a lot of unfinished business, wounds that haven't been healed, relationships that are kind of, you know, in a icky place and all this stuff, when we slow down, it shows up. And so I, that has happened in me when I first moved to Portland five and a half years ago, I gave myself a year to not be hustling for work. And what I did in that year was a lot of writing, a lot of processing, processing my divorce from 12 years prior, processing the, you know, the mothering I had done and sent my kids off out into the world and processing the move that I had just been, the the career that I had left and all these things, because at the time I they, they were happening, I was too busy. I had too many things going on and I was, kind of hustling around and there was no time to process. I had to just keep moving forward. And so what these what these transitions do often is open up time and space. And I think if we can have some resources to enter those spaces and deal with all the things that bubble up to the surface, there can be a lot of healing. There can be lessons and so much learned out of those things the dealing with the the things that come up and then often if there's also some creative work going on and some connecting with the natural world with your body and some other things that I'm going to be also writing about it can prepare the way for a healthier next step whatever that phase is if it's entrepreneurship or if it's a new relationship or if it's a a new career path or you know whatever it can just kind of unload some unnecessary baggage that we probably didn't even know we've been lug- lugging around for years and years and um, just kind of lighten the load and bring in some new perspectives so these are the topics that I will be writing about if you're interested in being part of a a small team of beta readers like who want to get fed little couple pages here and there every few weeks you can email me pam at allhandsart.com that's going to be starting in february in a couple of weeks um otherwise that is yeah those are the things that have been on my mind and that i feel like i i have some things that i'd like to share about them so thank you for listening And I will catch you next time on the Accidental Muralist podcast.